The religious leaders had come to Jesus. Jesus is getting towards the end of his earthly ministry, but they're challenging him. They're coming to him and they're saying, you know, where's the kingdom of God? And he answers them. And in verse 24, he answers and says, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, verse 28, as it also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. As we travel over to Luke chapter 21, that is part of what, as most of you know, is called the Olivet Discourse. As Jesus from uh, the Mount of Olives is speaking to his disciples, he is talking to them about the signs of the end, the destruction of the temple, uh, his second coming. And in chapter 21, Dr. Luke, being a Gentile, he begins to focus on uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. And we see that uh, Jesus says that uh, the destruction of Jerusalem is going to come and, and they will, uh, the people of Israel are going to fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive to all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now keep that in mind because Jesus is talking about another captivity that's going to take place to all the nations which of course happened in 70 AD when Titus and the Roman legions surrounded Jerusalem destroyed Jerusalem and, and Josephus, the Jewish historian writes that 1.1 million Jews were killed at that time and 100,000 were led off into slavery to Rome and, and they were dispersed throughout the nations and he says it's going to happen and, and Jerusalem's going to be trampled on the foot until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled but he's talking about the tribulation period and, and towards the end of that discourse Luke records Jesus says in verse 34 but take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come on you unexpectedly for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Father, I pray that tonight as we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus and considering them, that Lord, these are words for us, for this generation. And I pray that our hearts are stirred as we enter into a new year, not only a new year, but we're entering into a new decade. And we know that these things are for us today, for us to, to be ones that consider what it is that is taking place around us that points to your soon return for your coming for the church. And so, Lord, help us be attentive to the things that, that we go over tonight. And I thank you that we can be here as we finish the year. And we're looking so forward to you stirring our hearts here in this place as we hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this prophecy update, The Church, Discerning the Times or Ignoring the Times. And as last week, a week ago, we were celebrating the birth of Jesus in our uh, Christmas Eve services, uh, his first advent. And we were reading about how the wise men came from the east. We're familiar with that text in Matthew chapter 2. And those wise men traveling all across the desert for hundreds of miles, perhaps, uh, in difficult uh, uh, conditions, they came to Jerusalem. And we read that as they followed his star, uh, the star of Bethlehem to Jerusalem, they came and Herod, he wanted to see them. And that's why I believe that there was more than just three wise men coming across the desert. But there was a contingency of them because they got the attention of Herod. He says, I want to see these guys. I want to know what it is that they are doing. And so as they came, they said to King Herod that where is he who has been born king of the Jews, for we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him.
him. And we know that Matthew records that, he, that Herod was very troubled in his heart. And he was, you know, just shook because the mention of another king that perhaps the people could rally around. So he calls for the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, the ones who were experts in the scriptures. And he asked them, where is this ruler supposed to be born, this Messiah of yours? And the chief priests and scribes, they would quote from Micah chapter 5, verse 2 from the Old Testament. Micah was on the scene, a contemporary uh, with Isaiah, ministering 700 years before uh, Jesus was born. And he would prophesy that the Messiah, this ruler, is going to be born in Bethlehem. And I mentioned how it's amazing how those wise men, and they were wise indeed, as they would come all the way to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem and come and worship the Christ child, perhaps knowing the prophecies of Daniel in the Old Testament, looking for the coming of Messiah the Prince. And as they did, they would come to present gifts and to worship him. But what I find very interesting and intriguing is that the religious leaders who knew the scriptures, they knew the prophecies. They boasted at knowing the scriptures. The ones who were to be looking for their Messiah to be born would not even travel 10 miles to go and check it out. And it would be later on in, in Jesus' ministry that he, Jesus, would rebuke those religious leaders. In Matthew chapter 16, he said, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and, and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. They had missed it. And when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, he said, You did not know the day of your visitation. He said, oh, your house is left to you desolate now. And you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus had promised that he's going to come back. And we are no doubt living in the most significant times in church history, particularly as it relates to the end of the church age and the coming of the Lord. And we know that it is God's will and desire that we as Christians be discerning in the days in which we are in. But instead, what we are seeing is a growing trend in the church of ignoring the days in which we are in. There are people all around us, even tonight, that desperately want to know what the future holds. What is 2020 going to hold for me, for my family? What's it going to hold for this nation? What is this decade? What's ahead for us? And, and, and what's going to happen? And they are concerned as they look at this messed up, confused world, uh, the decline that we see around us spiritually, morally, uh, politically, culturally. And we have the privilege to be given prophecy that tells us about the culmination of things that will lead to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the establishment of his kingdom. And if people will not turn or look and read what the Bible says, then they will turn to other things. And that's what people are doing today. They are turning to New Age philosophy that says that there's going to be an era of enlightenment that's going to come. They'll go to the psychics to try to, to have them tell them what's going to happen to me in the future. They turn to the secular world that is saying and predicting by the so-called experts what's going to happen to us as a nation and politically and culturally. This is going to be the, the latest trends. And people are wondering, what does the future hold? And over a quarter of the Bible is prophetic, and God has given his word. Even as Isaiah declared 2,700 years ago that God knows the end from the beginning. And he's told us of the signs and the events that will lead to Jesus returning, the restoring of the nation of Israel, the establishing of his kingdom. In 2019 here at Calvary Greeley, we spent 11 months going through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. It was a wonderful, wonderful study. It is the only book in the Bible where there is mentioned a specific and very unique promise to those who read the words of the book, who hear the words and hold fast the words of that book. Now, it's, there's a blessing. 
in any of the 66 books of the Bible that we read, but the book of Revelation gives a specific promise that those who read the book, those who hear the words, those who hold fast to the words of this book, and yet what I am reading, the stats in the church today, is that 90% of the church, the church at large, will not talk about the rapture of the church today. They will not do a Bible study through the book of Revelation. I have heard several pastors say that personally, that we don't want to go through the book of Revelation. And as we read prophecy, it is not to make us anxious. It's not to confuse us. It is to comfort us, what God has for us. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Always remember that the future of the believer is very glorious. And the future for the church is the blessed hope of the Lord taking the church home. Prophecy tells us that God's going to keep his promises to Israel. And we see the Lord preparing his people. He has brought them back into their original homeland after 2,000 years. And it amazes me. And you see that when you take a trip with us to Israel, how they're, they're uh, there in the land and planting the land again. And, and as they are there, uh, as we see the ancient cities and ruins being rebuilt. And all of a sudden, out of the ashes came the beauty the ashes of the Holocaust. There were over six million Jews were killed. And we see they come back into their original homeland after 2,000 years, an absolute miracle, just as Jesus said, just as the prophets said would happen. They come back into the land and become a nation once again, as Isaiah chapter 66 says, can a nation be born in one day? Well, they were. And we see the miracle of God of them being back and being blessed and they're growing. And just like as it tells us in the book of Amos, I'm going to read it to you. Amos in the Old Testament in chapter 9, he ends the book by saying that I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. It's amazing what they're doing in that land. All of a sudden, in 70 years, they're the eighth more most powerful nation in the world. That's according to, to the secular people. To the spiritual, they're going to be there. And God is going to protect them and has. And I'm going to plant them in their land. And no longer shall they be pulled up, Amos says, from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. He's going to fulfill his promise that he's given to them. And that brings comfort to me because I know that the Lord's going to fulfill his promise to me. And listen, one of the reasons why we live in very significant times is because this generation in 1948 is the first generation in nearly 2,000 years that the church and Israel is on the scene at the same time. These are remarkable times. And the church is saying in so many circles, even in, it's not just, well, that's mainline denominations. We're talking independent churches. We're talking in evangelical circles that the church is Israel. And the replacement theology is growing and it's spreading. I even heard one pastor tell me that it's just a coincidence that Israel is a nation. Well, prophecy doesn't deal with coincidences. It is 100% accurate and true to where Jesus said every dot and tittle will be filled by God's word. God gives us prophecy. He tells us of the birth pangs and the signs that will lead to the coming of Jesus. And when Israel became a nation, that was called the super sign. The end time clock began to, began to tick. And these things are going to happen. John write these things down as he's on the island of Patmos that must shortly take place. Not that they might, or it's a possibility, but they will. And Jesus told you and me that we are to be watching and we are to be waiting because he comes at a time that we do not know when you're least expected. And as I've pointed out repeatedly that we are told in, in the New Testament as we go over it, 
how many times that we are to be watching, to be sober. Let us not sleep. Let us be awake. So why is there more of a mentality of ignoring prophecy in the return of the Lord? Even when 40 years ago, 40 years ago, in the late 60s and in the 70s, those of you like, like me that are old enough to remember that, even the 80s, prophecy was taught in the church. And it was a powerful evangelistic tool to bring people to Christ. It was a catalyst in the Jesus movement, but not any longer. And why? Well, a couple reasons why I believe. Number one, seminaries are no longer teaching on eschatology. That is, in times, uh, prophecy. They're no longer offering it. Uh, they've abandoned it. There's a few exceptions, like Dallas Theological Seminary. That's where Dr. John Wolvo, the expert on end-time prophecy, he's gone home to be with the Lord. I got many of his books upstairs, but many of the students that, that you listen to, perhaps, that are expert on end-time prophecy were students of Dr. Wolvo. So there's a few that are teaching it and are teaching it in a biblical manner. And then there are Bible colleges and there are other groups that uh, they are teaching it, but they are teaching it in a very wrong way. They are teaching kingdom now theology, new apostolic reformation. Listen, there's nothing new about it. That the apostles and prophets are going to grow and be, you know, powerful and pretty much going to take over the church and take over the world. And then we're going to usher in the second kingdom. Uh, you know, Jesus is going to be able to come back. Well, he's not dependent on us, first of all. Second of all, it sounds great, but that's not what the Bible says. There's nothing new about it. All millenniumism is spreading in the church today, preterist view, as I said, replacement theology, that God has abandoned his promise to Israel. One pastor said that he will never teach through the book of Revelation because he wasn't taught it in seminary. Well, the last time that I checked the book of Revelation was still in our Bibles, isn't it? Another said the church was told by the leaders of the denomination not to teach on the rapture or teach through the book of Revelation. That's what we're seeing today in the church. Second of all, pastors are afraid of offending people. And the reason is, is because the only time that, that, that secular news talks about the return of the Lord is when somebody comes along and comes up with a, a predicted date that, that the Lord's going to come back and some weird teaching on the Lord's coming. And it makes us Christians look like we're crazy, we're delusional. There's another one of those Christians that are predicting when Jesus is going to come back when he clearly said that no one knows the day or the hour. So they won't teach on it. Afraid they're going to offend people. People don't want to hear it. Thirdly, pastors are afraid that they're going to scare people. You've heard me say and others that prophecy is not to scare you, but to prepare you. The events of the tribulation period is intense. Those of you who were here on Wednesday night, we saw that. Because it is God's wrath on being poured out on a Christ-rejected world. But the church is not to be afraid. When Paul talked about the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it's interesting that uh, the thought and uh, the thinking of more that is spreading in the church is there's not going to be a rapture, that that is imposed in the text. Just read your Bible. When Paul writes that the time's going to come when the Lord will descend from heaven and, and with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, the Greek word hapazo, where the Latin word rapturus, where we get our English word rapture, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. What's imposing anything into that? That's what God's word declares. It is the blessed hope. And as Paul's writing about that, he says, comfort one another with these words. And then moving into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when Paul wrote about the day of the Lord, he says, when they, the pronoun changes. It's not us that's going to meet the Lord in the air. But they, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them and they shall not escape. But God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And comfort each other and edify one another. You know, it's interesting that the church doesn't want to talk about the blessed hope. 
doesn't want to teach on it. We don't want to scare people. What do you hear today? You got all these politicians and others that are giving these dire predictions that, you know, AOC is saying that the world's going to come in to an end in 12 years. And everybody's paying attention to it. Miami's going to, you know, flood and people are going to lose their homes in three years because of climate change. You have time person of the year, and I, I don't mean to pick on anybody that is telling us, how dare you? you? We have no hope. People are dying, ecosystems are crashing, all that. Listen, I know what the Bible says. And they can come up with all the new green deals they want to. But I know what the Bible says, how the world's going to come to an end. Talk about climate change. Wait till the tribulation period when things start <laughs> burning up and everything. I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of our planet. Of course we do. But they're not afraid to talk about it and scare everybody to death. And yet the church is afraid to talk about what is going to happen and what God declares? Fourthly, Peter tells us, and we see it happening today, that the scoffers will come in the last day saying, where's the promise of his coming? All things continue as they were. That Pastor Jeff over there at Calvary Greeley, he's been talking about the Lord's return for nearly 24 years now. Well, we're 24 years closer to the return of the Lord, <laughs> all right? The storm clouds are gathering and Christians aren't watching. Fifthly, pastors don't want to seem divisive, controversial, to take a stand on Bible prophecy. Oftentimes the response of pastors when asked about the rapture, the return of the Lord is, I don't know, or we shouldn't worry about it, or we don't need to focus on it. I remember listening to Dr. Thomas Ice at a conference once, and he said, you either define yourself or others will. We can be very clear on it. And I know there's some different thoughts on the rapture of the church, but to deny it and say that it's not going to happen or we shouldn't talk about it, it's in the scripture for us to be comforted. The Bible is very clear that we are to be discerning the times and we are living in, not ignoring the times. And I long to see the Lord's return. And I think you do too. That's why you're here tonight. And I believe that all of us should long for the Lord's coming. We read, we will see in, in a few weeks as we continue in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, that Paul, is, he says, my departure, Timothy, is at hand. And there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We should be watching. We should be ready. We should be alert concerning the Lord's coming. And as we read here in Luke chapter 17, back to the text that we read, he, he writes, or he says that it, Jesus, that as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. When I come back, Jesus said, and then he uses two Old Testament examples that speak of the suddenness and the certainty of his return. The first one, as in the days of Noah, emphasizing the suddenness of God's judgment. Second of all, the totality of the judgment. And then thirdly, the unexpectancy of the judgment. Noah, who was called a preacher of righteousness by the apostle Peter, the flood would come suddenly after Noah preached righteousness and built the ark. Noah was doing the Lord's work, and that's what we are to do. Occupy till I come is what Jesus said. We have things to do, and sometimes people will come to you and to me, and they say, you believe the rapture of the church? Oh, you're just, you want to stick your head in the sand and escape. Well, Jesus said, pray that you may escape these things that may come to pass. I'll take it. I don't want to be here. For the tribulation period. But here's the thing. We are to occupy till he's come. That's not the heart of scripture. That we're sticking our heads in the sand. But we are to continue to do his work. Because we are going to read in Jeremiah. That as he was preaching. The weeping prophet. He wept over the message that he gave to Jerusalem. The death of a nation. And captivity was coming. 
And when Jerusalem was destroyed, it was Jeremiah that, Jeremiah that said, summer's over. The harvest is in. And we're not saved. That trumpet is going to blow. And there's people that we love and we care about that are going to say summer's over. Harvest is in. And we're not saved. Although oh, have opportunity in the tribulation period. But here is Noah as he's building that boat and 450 feet long and 40 feet high, huge. And the people for 120 years are probably wondering, what is that old coot doing? He's crazy. They probably had a, a day where they came out and just, you know, had picnics and watched Noah build the ark. And he's saying, listen, judgment's coming. It's going to rain. What do you mean it's going to rain? It didn't rain in those days like it does today. That before the flood, there was a firmament around the atmosphere of the earth, Genesis tells us. It was tropical. It was warm. That's why they find fossils, you know, plants of fossils in the polar regions in the Sierra Desert. Rain? What do you mean? You're crazy. And here's the thing. Remember back in those days, the people lived to be 800, 900 years old. And there are scholars that believe that the earth at least had millions of people, perhaps billions of people was the population. But how many people were there? Listen, only eight were right. The rest were wrong. People will say to you and to me, you crazy Christian, thinking that the Lord's coming is near. Again, the scoffers. And just like there were the scoffers in Noah's day, and remember that Jesus said, you hypocrites, you Pharisees, you could discern the weather, but not the coming of the Son of Man. And what we are being told here is that there is going to be a generation where there is normal routines of life, eating and drinking and giving to marriage and working, and suddenly there will be this interruption, one taken, one left, as you continue to read the chapter. I am praying that we are that generation. Are we? I don't know for sure. I pray that we are. If you're thinking, I don't want the Lord to come in 2020, I don't want the Lord to come in this decade, listen, I'm praying against you. <laughs> because I am praying that the Lord comes back. And he can come back. We don't know the day or the hour. But can I ask you this question? I ask those of us here at Calvary, do you believe that he can come back even tonight before we hit midnight? Yeah. Yes. Amen. And those of you who say, no, be careful. I come when you least expect it. Paul would write that salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And we can say for sure that this generation of the church is closer to the return of Jesus than any other generation. So the text, the teachings that speak about his coming is more applicable to us than ever before. Learn from the days of Noah, where there, he was a preacher of righteousness. The people were doing evil continually. The world was filled with violence and with wicked imaginations. And that was before the internet and social media. <laughs> and they continued to live their lives as normal in the midst of all of it. And there was something looming over them. And then Noah and his family would enter the ark. And the Lord would shut the door and seal it. And then all of a sudden, drip. And drip. And drip. And it began to rain. And sudden destruction came in God's judgment. The second example. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day of the Son of Man is revealed, revealed the word apocalypse. We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Everything was going on as normal until on that day that Lot went out of Sodom. We know the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is famous even today, known for great immor immorality and homosexuality. But listen, 
Read Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16, verse 49, write it down. That Ezekiel writes that this is the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Interesting, isn't it? Doesn't mention immorality. But pride and fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Didn't care about the poor and the needy. And you know the story in the book of Genesis of Lot and the nephew of Abraham that he looked over towards the Jordan Valley and he saw that it looked like a garden so he planted himself next to Sodom. The next time you see him and it's mentioned in Genesis, he's in the city of Sodom and his family and then you see Lot, he's at the gate of Sodom which is in a position of leadership. But Peter comes along who calls Lot righteous Righteous Lot. But as he speaks of Lot, he says that he was tormented in his soul, hearing the lawless deeds and what was going on in Sodom. And God delivered righteous Lot. And even though there was great immorality and sin in Sodom and Gomorrah, there was something that drew Lot and his family into that city. Remember that. It was prosperous. Lots of activities. They sold. They, they bought. They planted. They built. It was a happening place. It was economically prosperous, probably culturally stimulating, interesting. But there was great wickedness. And we see in Genesis chapter 19 that Lot, when he went to tell his son-in-laws and warned them to get out immediately, judgment is coming, they thought he was joking. Lot's wife and two daughters lingered. They, they were stalling. And the angel said, got to get out, Lot. You've got to get out and read it. That I cannot do anything to this city till you leave. I find that significant. Because you see, Lot, I believe, is a picture of the church. That he's going to take us out of and away from this, this place, this world, before he pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. So Jesus, he's talking about the suddenness. No, learn from the days of Noah, from Lot. And then later on, a few months later, he's talking to his disciples. They're in the Olivet Discourse. And he's talking to them about the, the end of the time, the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, he has some very important things to say. Dr. Luke, again, in his account, is talking about how there's going to be those who are going to come and, and they're going to destroy Jerusalem, but then the signs of the time. And he says, when you see these things begin to, to happen, look up and rejoice, for your redemption draws near. He spoke of, of the parable of the fig tree. And at the end of that discourse, he says something very important for us here tonight. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. What things? All the things that he just talked about, the tribulation period. They will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So Jesus talking to his disciples about the destruction of the magnificent temple, uh, the end of the age of his coming. He told them that he would come back. And, and as he is doing that, he said, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The parable of the fig tree and all its trees, when you see it budding, knowing that summer is, summer is near. When you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. And heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will no means pass away. I want to remind you that these signs of the end are headed somewhere. They're like birth pangs. Jesus said to where they will usher in the kingdom of God. You see, things don't continue as is. Jesus said that my words will not pass away. These things are going to take place. As we wrap up this year, Jesus gave us a very important exhortation. In light of the return of the Lord, how should we live? In 2 Peter chapter 3, he writes, What manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Jesus here puts some very specific things in front of us and how we should conduct ourselves in light of his coming. He, in this exhortation, gives us a warning. But before he does that, he says this, and it's for all of us as we enter into this new year. 
Take heed to yourselves. The language is a present imperative. You must take heed to yourselves. Not that it's a good idea to do that, or if you want to, it might help you, but you and I must continually be taking heed to ourselves. He is not saying take heed to yourself in that I focus on self and life is centered on me and what I want. It isn't that selfish kind of thing that is becoming more popular in the church today. But rather, be careful. Pay attention. Pay attention. Be awake, watching. And you see in other places in the New Testament, again, concerning the return and what our response is to it. And the warning is given that if you do not constantly, continually, daily be taking heed to yourself, there is a dullness that is going to take place. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, cares of this life. And that day, what day? It's the day of the Lord. That term that you see in the Old Testament speaks of judgment that is followed by blessing. The day of the Lord is a period of time. It is not a specific day. It begins with the tribulation. The tribulation begins with the rise of the Antichrist. For seven years, the tribulation period, it includes the second coming of Jesus Christ and then the millennium reign of Jesus Christ for a thousand years. So he's saying that that day come upon you unexpectedly. Take heed to yourselves. Pay attention. And by the way, that's what we're to be doing daily as a Christian. Paul would write to Timothy that take heed to yourself if you've been with us on Sunday morning in Paul's letters to Timothy. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Let's exercise godliness. Let's do this together, Timothy. You being an example in word and conduct in love and spirit and purity and faith. Paul addressing the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He said, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Listen, if you want to be a godly influence to those who are linked to you in your life, mom and dads. To your children, grandparents, to your grandchildren. To family members to friends, to co-workers. If you want to be a godly influence, then take heed to yourself. Stay close to the Lord. And in light of my return, the first exhortation is that we are to do this. And he says, this is something that I don't want you to do. It's a warning, lest your heart be weighed down. He isn't talking about our hearts beating in our chest. It is speaking of the deepest resources of our being, the real you, your spiritual being. You're not just your intellect, but the deepest part of you. Beware, lest your hearts be weighed down. The King James uses the word overcharge. It's the only time that that word is used in the New Testament. The word means laden down. It means burdened down. New King James that I read, weighed down. It takes on the meaning of a dullness of heart. Listen, this is important for us as Christians in our daily living. If you and I are not taking heed to ourselves on a daily basis, continually, constantly, then you will have a dullness of heart of the things of the Lord and towards the Lord. It means being desensitized. Christians can see all these things going on around us, these signs, and people say that things are falling apart. We read the Bible about the end times and we can say things are falling into place. The storm clouds are gathering and yet so many Christians can be so dull to it. The word doesn't mean you do it. The word means it happens to you. If you are not taking heed spiritually, and I think that most of us know this to be true, then there's a dullness that's going to happen. That's why there are some very practical things for us to be consistent so the dullness doesn't take over our hearts. Devotions, read your Bible every day. Be one that is praying. Continue to be in fellowship with other believers, even as the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some, especially as you see the day approaching. We're seeing the day approaching. 
be in fellowship with other believers. We talked about this on Sunday as we finished chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Be in fellowship with other believers, serving the Lord. And you and I can be taken over, laden down with carousing. It might be translated dissipation. It means to be full, overindulge. We know that Paul uses that word in Ephesians chapter 5. Don't be drunk with wine, in which is the dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We can be dull spiritually. We just start to fill our minds with worldliness and self-indulgence to be excessive with worldly pleasure, and it's all around us. Jesus said, don't with carousing. Don't with drunkenness. Now, you go home for New Year's, and you have a glass of wine with your family. That's between you and the Lord. But I think you've heard me clearly what I think about alcohol and to be careful and just stay away because there are people that are not with us tonight that their lives have been destroyed by it. In 27 years of ministry, I've seen it happen over and over again. Families destroyed fractured, people's lives ruined. Don't be filled with drunkenness. Don't do it. Take heed to yourself, lest your heart be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. It means you're being pulled in different directions. Remember the, the parable of the sower in, in Luke chapter 8, the seed fell upon the th- thorns and choked out the word and Jesus explaining the parable said that these are the ones who the word is choked out by the pleasures of life and the cares of life interesting we all have cares of life don't we we got jobs we have kids that we need to raise we have you know activities the cares of life are not bad things but what can happen if we're not taking heed to ourselves? that those things begin to pull us in different directions and it ends up happening is it begins to choke out our spiritual life and we become dull spiritually. The cares of this world can choke out our taking heed. That's why we are to cast our cares upon him. The challenges, the anxieties, the worries, our families, our jobs, our businesses, whatever. So don't let these things bring dullness to your spiritual life. And that day come upon you unexpectedly, suddenly. Now, I want to read from you again from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as Paul is writing to the church there. After he writes about the rapture of the church, therefore comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. What he is saying to us is don't let that day come upon you unexpectedly, suddenly. And when they say peace and safety, they shall not escape. It's going to come upon them. You're children of the day, not of the night. Paul being consistent with what our Lord is saying. For they will come as a snare upon all those, verse 35 of Luke 21, who dwell on the face of the earth. Not just Jerusalem, not just Israel, but the whole earth. The term is used as a reference of non-believers, those who dwell on the earth. Jesus said in that wonderful promise in the letter he wrote to the church of Philadelphia, the faithful church, because you have kept my command to persevere. That's what he's telling us to do in Luke's gospel, to watch, to take heed, to persevere. Because you have done that, Jesus says, that I, I also will keep you from the hour of trial or temptation or tribulation that shall come upon all the earth to try those who dwell on the earth. 
There's only one time that I know that there's going to be tribulation upon the whole earth. Daniel's 70th week. And Jesus said, I'm going to keep you out of the Greek reads and away from the hour of tribulation. Not that I'm going to keep you through it. I'm going to take you out of it. And Jesus is giving this warning because this day, the day of the Lord, which speaks of sudden destruction as a, you know, a thief in the night, is going to be like a snare, like a trap that gets sprung. Remember that they were stunned when Jesus said, not one stone is going to be upon another. The, the temple was magnificent. If you've gone with us to Israel, we've seen the Herodian stones, the huge foundational stones. It seems so secure. And if we think that we are so secure because of our resources and our careers and, and what we do or the things of the world, those things will not bring a lasting security. Our security is in the Lord. And then those who dwell on the earth... The meaning dwell is that you are comfortable, settled with the world, comfortable with the world. The day is going to come upon them like a trap. And by the way, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, you know the verse that Christ may dwell in your hearts. So a question to ask as we end the year and get ready to enter into a new year. Can the Lord dwell comfortably in your heart, in my heart? This is for me too. Or are the things on the walls of our heart that grieve him? That would not please him? That would make him feel uncomfortable? The world, worldly pleasures, things. Things that we've been looking at, involved in. Christ dwells in our hearts. And those who dwell on the earth, it will be a snare. It's going to happen. Don't be weighed down, Jesus would say in Matthew 24 in the last days, because lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. As Luke records, that watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. These signs are the mark of the end. And now Jesus gives us hope, doesn't he? He says that we can escape all these things to come to pass because we have the blessed hope that he's going to come for the church and take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation. But these signs are like birth pangs. And then when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape, but you and I will. You and I will. Because we have the blessed hope that the Lord's going to come for his church. And I believe that he can come at any time. We don't know the day or the hour, but occupy till he comes. Be watching. Let's pay attention. So what should we be doing? What should we be watching for as we enter 2020? A couple things. Number one, I think that lawlessness and violence is going to increase. <clears throat> Again, we're going to talk about it on this Sunday. As we enter into 2 Timothy chapter 3, the last day shall be perilous times. Paul would write in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed. Listen, the church is a restraining factor. We need to be praying. Because we do live in perilous times. And I think that lawlessness and violence is going to increase. We're seeing it, aren't we? It's all around us. Which leads to the second thing. Anti-Semitism is going to be increasing. We saw what happened last weekend. Just two days ago. Three days ago. Another attack on a gathering of, of, of Jews that were celebrating the last day of Hanukkah. We saw another church shooting. It's growing. Anti-Semitism. And I believe it's going to grow against the church. It is growing rapidly in Europe and in America. It's even in our nation's capital. The Bible is very clear. That this, before the second coming of Jesus, that Israel will, will find herself being alone. Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling to all the nations. 
but we're going to see that lawlessness and violence could very well increase in the days in which we're in because men will be lovers of themselves. They'll be brutal. They'll be fierce, traitors, all these things that we're going to talk about more specifically. Listen, be praying for our peace officers, our first responders. This last August, I was in New York City. I took my family because when 9-11 happened and I was out there in New York at Ground Zero as a chaplain for New York City police officers, it was such a horrible time. And the police officers and first responders and firefighters were seen as such heroes. And there was such support. They were going through so much difficulty. And the city was, you know, still burning at ground zero, we'd be done and there'd be dust all over us at the end of the day. But there is this renewed respect for our law enforcement. When I went back last August, I couldn't believe the attitude towards law enforcement and what they're going through and what they're experiencing. Please pray for them. Pray for our first responders. Pray for our military those who are over in Baghdad right now that are holding the embassy, pray for those who are overseas. Let's keep praying for them because lawlessness and violence is going to increase and they need our support. Anti-Semitism is going to be increasing. I believe it's going to be more attacks against the church. It shouldn't scare us, but just know that the Bible talks about these things. Thirdly, increase upheaval in the Middle East. Israel's heading for new elections, the third in less than a year. And if there's a change in leadership, that it could really embolden Russia and Iran and Turkey that's already entrenched in Syria. We've talked about uh, quite extensively about the next major war in the Middle East, maybe Ezekiel 38. We're seeing the major players already in place that Russia, China, Iran had just maneuvers in the Indian Ocean. We're going to see that they're going to come against Israel eventually. Ezekiel 38 and 39, that major war in the Middle East that has not been fulfilled, that when God will put a hook in their jaws and Gog and Magog and Persia and, and Gomer and all them and this massive invasion of Israel, and then God will defend Israel. When is it going to happen? We know in the latter days... When Israel's back in the land, they're back in the land. We're in the latter days. The major players are all set up, be watching, and yet the church is sleeping about it. Church is not even aware of it. You can talk to Christians and say, oh, have you read Ezekiel 38? What's Ezekiel 38? What's this? About six weeks ago, we were standing right on the border of Syria looking in the valley where that invading army is going to be coming through to Israel in the mountains of the north. When is Ezekiel 38 going to happen? Don't know for sure. I think the best place to put it is right prior to the tribulation period or right at the beginning. People ask me, do you think the rapture is going to happen first? This is my opinion. I think it is because of what we just read. There's normality. No one's expecting it. People are going on as usual. But time's going to tell. But there's going to be more upheaval in the Middle East. Watch Israel. Watch Jerusalem. Watch the Temple Mount. There's more talk about the Temple being built. It's interesting days as we see it exactly like the Bible says. Number four. Look for the rise of strong delusion and the moral collapse of our culture. The Bible predicts that kind of thing in the last days. And again, the church needs to be praying. It will be like the days of Noah, like the days of Sodom. Number five, keep your eyes on Europe. Great upheaval in Europe. And Europe is looking for a leader to bring them together. Europe is a mess. And I believe that it could very well get messier. That's going to lead to the rise of the Antichrist that's going to come out of that revived Roman Empire. Daniel spends a lot of time really making that clear. 
in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, the ten toes, the extension of the legs of iron, which is the Roman Empire. It's, it's going to be the ten leaders, and out of that is going to come the rise of the Antichrist. I think Europe is going to see more upheaval, more things that are going on, more difficulty that has taken place. And then finally, the church. I'm very concerned about the church today. And we need a renewed commitment to the word and teaching of the return of the Lord. Because if we are not teaching it, where are people going to hear it? I know there are some great online teachers, but it needs to come from the pulpits, not ignoring it. But we need to be getting back to what the word of God has to say. There has been more of an abandoning and a diminishing of priority of the word of God in the church. And it breaks my heart. We're more interested in hype and entertainment and self-help kind of messages. We need to get back to the word of God and get back to praying. Because as I said, the storm clouds are gathering. And we have a wonderful opportunity to be light in the day in which we are in. We are here for such a time as this. Really. And I hope your heart is stirred here tonight. Don't go to sleep. Don't get weighed down with just the world and things of the world. It can happen very easily to any of us. But let's be watching. Let's be paying attention, sober, watching. Because Jesus said, I come when you least expect it. He meant what he said, and he said what he meant. And the church, that we are a restraining factor, because when we are taken out of the way, then lawlessness is going to spread and take over. We need to be praying for our nation we need to be on our knees and listen. What I believe the churches should be full, should be having prayer meetings. We should be talking about these things, getting to the word of God. That's what my prayer is. Just a renewed commitment and serving and not being ashamed of the gospel. And you know what may happen? Paul says that evil men and impostors are going to grow worse and worse, but you must continue, Timothy, in the Holy Scriptures that you've learned from childhood. And I believe that there is revival. I pray that there's revival in this nation. I believe it's the only hope that there is for this nation in the direction we're going. And I don't mean to be negative. I, I'm not a, you know, doom and gloom. But we're rapidly declining spiritually and morally. And we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for this election. We need to be praying as a church. And we need to be a light and not ashamed of the gospel. Because the world out there is telling us to shut up. And not to stand for righteousness. Well, we're going to stand for righteousness. Amen. And we're going to teach the word in love. And may this place be a hospital. Listen, people are confused. They're confused and they're wondering, and we have the answers. And may this place be a hospital for those who are hurting and wondering. And being a light, a city on a hill. Let's do this. Let's do this for the Lord together. Amen. As we head into 2020, the Lord has so much for us. To be light. To be praying for your family. To be praying for your coworkers, even that person that just gets under your skin. For your neighbor. To have a heart for the lost here. Because these things are real. And the harvest is coming. And may we see people like the Lord sees them. Who went to a cross and died for every single one of us. We always do it in love because he first loved us. And when Jesus walked down the narrow streets of Jerusalem with that cross into that place of execution, it was because of his love for you. And he has saved you.
and he's forgiven you. And we have a wonderful future. And he's going to come and take us home. So we need to love others enough to give them the truth. Don't back down. Don't back down from it. But give it to others. And may we be that light that they need. Father, I do thank you for tonight. Oh, there's so much more that we can talk about. I thank you that we can take heed to the exhortations given to us. That you are going to come back for your church. Father, that you are, through your son, fulfill your promises. And every dot and tittle of, that is declared in your word will be fulfilled. Father, I just want to pray tonight, if anyone's here, I know there's a lot of people online listening, maybe later on the radio. If you're here tonight, I want to ask a question. Are you right with the Lord? Number one, have you really committed your life to him? Maybe you've gone to church for a while, grew up in a church, but have you really said yes to Jesus? Because he is your salvation. There is none other. Jesus died for you because of your need to be forgiven. It's the greatest need of any man or any woman. And you can't save yourself, and the church won't save you. But have you turned to Jesus and say that I come to you to be forgiven and you are Lord and Savior, my Lord and Savior. Today is the day of salvation because he is coming back. He did die for your sins. He rose again. He conquered sin and death and proved that he's the son of God. Please don't play games with your salvation. If you're not right with the Lord, if you haven't given your heart to him, will you do that right now, right where you're at? Today's the day of salvation and come in faith. Repent, the Bible says. Turn direction. That's all it means. Quit going the direction you're going and turn to Jesus and say, I need forgiveness. And I come to surrender my life to you for this new beginning that I might be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life and right relationship with you, Father. He's alive speaking to your heart. He loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. This world will bring nothing but death and despair and leave you wanting and unsatisfied. Jesus promised to give you life and life abundantly, to live life the way it's meant to be, to worship him and to know your creator. You can pray right where you are that, Jesus, I come to you and ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I ask that you would forgive me. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. And I thank you for your love for me in this new beginning, in this new year, in this new decade. Because you make all things new. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. You might be here and maybe you've been distant, weighed down with worldliness or whatever it may be. Cares of life, just stuff of life. And the Lord has stirred your heart tonight. Maybe you've been distracted with so many other things or... And you're here tonight and you're hearing the word of God being spoken to you and you're saying, Lord, I want to draw closer to you. I want to take heed to myself spiritually. I, I, and we don't do it out of guilt. Please don't respond to the Lord out of guilt. He came to take the guilt and the shame away. We respond out of love because he loves us. We can come to him and be renewed and refreshed and forgiven and restored. And right now to say, Lord, 
in this new year, I want to take heed to myself spiritually and not get weighed down and not get distracted, not to be in a trap of the world. But you're the priority right now. Go to him right now and pray, Lord, I come. That's my heart, my desire. I'm so sorry that I've been weighed down with other things. Lord, help me to be the man of God, the woman of God, the husband, the wife, the mother, the father, the grandparent, whoever you are that you want me to be, to be a light to others, to walk in your wisdom, to know you, and to enjoy you, to learn of you that I may be able to share with others. I may be a light and give wisdom to my children. be watching and sober and vigilant because Lord the days are coming where the trumpet's going to blow and Lord I don't want to be caught off guard I want to live for you thank you for hearing my prayer thank you for just bringing me to this place hearing this message Father, I thirdly pray for this church that we would be a light. That we would continue to stand on the gospel. Lord, we're not better than anybody else, but I pray for the church as a whole. I pray for pastors that they would not be afraid to talk about the return of the Lord, to teach the scriptures, to be committed to the word of God, to be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. To stand on it in your righteousness and to be a light. And I know that difficulties will come. There's an enemy out there that's going to come against us more and more. And there's the world and culture that is more antagonistic against truth. But Lord, we want to give it to others because it's their only hope. May we be light in this day that we're in. And may we be humbled before you, pleasing to you in everything that we do. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, just bless everyone here in a new year, just a renewed commitment to you, to what you would have us to do and serve you and our devotion to you, to enjoy you. Help us with the challenges that we have and the difficulties and the needs, the hurting hearts that are here, Lord. Bring comfort. And Lord, I just pray that we would please you in every way. We know we fall short and we have forgiveness when we do. But Lord, day by day, moment by moment, looking to you for everything. I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your provision this last year and your blessing. And I pray that you would continue because we are here for such a time as this. In extraordinary times. Help us keep our eyes on you in every way. I pray that you would take everyone home safely tonight, Lord. Your hand of protection and then ready to start a year with you as truly the priority in every area of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, would you please stand?